right, good morning. Frenchie is found. Jesus is alive. It's going to be a good Sunday, church. Uh, if this is your first Sunday here, my name is Alberto Lopez. I serve as one of the campus ministers, um, and I'm excited to open up the book of Romans. Where we find ourselves today is we're starting a new series called Birthmarks. And what we hope to accomplish in this series is, is, is bring to life what are the marks of a true Christian? What are the, the character traits of, of being a disciple of Christ? And one of the reasons I'm really excited for this is because in 2011, 2012, when Jesus began to woo my heart and, and draw me in, he got a hold of my life. One of the very first things that I did was I went to the bookstore and I bought a spiral because uh, I noticed that everybody was taking notes, and I was like, I guess I should be doing that. And so I, I bought this, this old dingy spiral now, and, and what I started doing with it is I, is I told myself, I'm going to read the Bible and take notes on it. Now, no one ever taught me how to read the Bible. I didn't know what a Bible was, so I assumed I'll just go from beginning to end. And so what I did is I started in Genesis, and then on this very first, on this very first page, I started taking notes on Genesis. And well, I made it to chapter four, and I stopped. And so I only have one page on Genesis from 18-year-old me. But on the very next page, I started taking notes from a sermon series that we did in 2012 that changed my life, and it was called Birthmarks, a study in Romans 12. And I'm excited to open up the word with you guys because this series, this chapter, changed my life. It was the first time that I began to see what, what does a Christian look like? I've heard people call themselves Christians. I've heard this word. But in this portion of scripture, Paul begins to outline, if the gospel is real and this is what Jesus has done for us, this is how we should look like. And so what I want to encourage you to do while I'm still holding this in my hand is I want to encourage you to bring a journal to church. I want to encourage you to bring paper. If you're not a note taker, start bringing notes, start bringing pen. There's something powerful about putting pen to paper that creates a more engaging experience. And if you are a note taker on your phone, uh, bring paper, okay? Uh, I have, there, there has not been a Sunday to date where I start strong on my notes app and I end up on social media or seeing what time this game is. So, so pen and paper. And so what's cool about this is that you not only come to church to receive something, you leave and you take something with you. And you can look back years later and see what the Lord is doing. I also encourage you, become a paper Bible person. There's something so sacred and so special, so precious about the paper Bible. And so I say that because I don't want you to just follow along with your eyes I want to, I want you, or your ears. I want you to follow along with your eyes. See what I see. And there's something transformative that happens when we engage the word of God and stare into his text. Amen, church? All right. So where we are picking up today is in Romans chapter 12. So a little background. The first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul spends a considerable amount of time telling us what the gospel is. So the first 11 chapters are extremely theological. And in the last five chapters, Paul gets practical. In, the, in these five chapters of Romans, Paul spends some time telling us what we should be, what we should look like because of the gospel, and how we live in light of the gospel. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And what I want to talk about is becoming a living sacrifice. 
I want to look at two verses, and my prayer for you is that your heart for Jesus, your love for him, your awe of him would increase, and that you would fall even more in love with Jesus, and you would leave here compelled to be his living sacrifice. So let's jump into the word. Will you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable, and perfect. The word of the Lord. You may be seated as we pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word. I ask that as we gaze into your word, as we read it, and unpack it, Lord, that you would make our hearts good soil, and that your word would take residence in our hearts, God. I pray that something beautiful would grow out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I came to Jesus almost nine years ago, eight, eight, nine years ago, uh, a couple friends of mine and myself, we told ourselves that, that we wanted to become better men. We said, we don't want to use vulgar language. We, we don't want to act immature. We want to be gentlemen. We want to live lives that are set apart. We told ourselves we wanted to be more like Jesus. And so here's what happened. Uh, A few of us changed our vocabulary. Uh, We swapped out our old language for, you know, Christian cuss words like biscuit and whatever. Uh, A few of us changed our activities, started becoming more involved in, in, in church and growth group. But almost none of us saw lasting change. My question to you is, have you ever attempted to make a change in your life? I mean, we all have something in our lives that we would like to change. Some of us have a list of things we would like to change. Some of us have a list of change we want to see in others, married folks. And some of the things that we, here are some things that we might want to change in our lives. The number on the scale We might say things like we want to eat differently, work out more because we want to see that number change. Other changes we want to see change is the bank balance. We want to see that number change. So uh, we want to experience a career change, get a different job, make more money, look for new opportunities. Other of us want to see a relationship change. We say things like, Lord, bring me my spouse. Bring me the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. We want to see a relationship change. And yet other of us might be in a relationship, but you might find yourself in a relationship that doesn't honor God. And the change that you need to experience is getting out of that relationship. Married folk, maybe uh, you're realizing that there has to be some changes that need to take place if we're going to make it and finish strong. Maybe the change you want to happen in your life is your relationship with God. You want to become a better follower of Jesus. 
regardless of where you find yourself, we all have things in our lives we want to change. And the tension in our life is that we all desire change. We all want change. But we don't desire someone else coming in and changing us. We don't like it when someone else comes and gets in our business and our personal lives and starts saying stuff like, you need to change. You need to start doing this. Quit doing that. We don't like people meddling and getting in our personal space and getting in our business. We want change. We need change. But we don't want anyone coming in and changing us. We would much rather fix ourselves. Rarely does anybody want someone to come and change them, and that includes God. God wants to change us. God has a a plan and a vision for our lives, yet we're not so crazy about this, and we say stuff like, I want to get right with God before I do this. I want to fix this area of my life before I, I show up to establish or victory weekend, growth group, retreat. I want, I want to fix this. And what God wants to do is not necessarily just change you. The preferred word the Bible uses is transform you. God wants to transform you. You see, change isn't bad, but in the Christian life, it is not the first step in becoming whole. We need to first be transformed by God. And here's why this matters. Change is about modifying something in your external environment, outside in, hopefully thinking that it'll change your behavior. This leads to to moralism or legalistic change. I'm just going to stop doing this activity. But transformation is is inside out. God transforms our hearts and in effect, our desires and our motivations are changed and this leads to a new life. And this is where we pick up in chapter 12. Let's look at verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what does this therefore represent? You've heard the the catchy phrase, therefore, therefore. This word makes us look back. And what are we being encouraged to look back on? 11 chapters of rich theology. Recall what we said earlier. The first 11 chapters, Paul spends a considerable amount of time telling us what the gospel is. This is Paul's longest explanation of the gospel. These 11 chapters are, are, are rich in, in what it is, why, why God sent his son, what is this all about. These last five chapters gets practical. And so Paul is telling us, therefore, after taking into consideration all that I've said earlier, become a living sacrifice. If Jesus was real and he lived and died for us, how should we act? How should we live? What should we be? He says, become a living sacrifice. So so what does this look like? So Paul spends the rest of Romans showing us what this looks like. And as we continue in this birthmark series, we're going to teach on the marks of a true Christian as outlined by the Apostle Paul. But before he unpacks what we're calling birthmarks or Christian character traits, he says in verse 1, I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves 
as a living sacrifice. So don't just present yourself as a living sacrifice. He says, by the mercies of God, do this. And so what are the mercies of God? Well, remember that word, therefore, helps us look back to see what Paul was saying. And this phrase, by the mercies of God, is Paul's way of summarizing the wonderful things that God has done for us and given us in Jesus that we can see in the first 11 chapters. Uh, The sacrifice of his son, Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Freedom from death, Romans 5. Freedom from sin, Romans 6. Righteousness that comes by faith. So not a righteousness that comes by working and doing better, but a righteousness that is freely given to you because of Jesus dying on the cross for you. We see peace with God. At once when we were in hostility, um, in opposition towards God, Jesus established right relationship with him. So now we can freely approach him and have right relationship with him. We're given the abiding presence of his spirit, adoption into his family, an inseparable and unconditional love. God loves you, not because of how awesome and amazing you are, but because of how awesome and amazing he is. And this is liberating because even on your worst day, because Jesus died for you, he loves you unconditionally. God's faithfulness to keep his promises and never go back on his word, Romans 9. We see a long list of the mercies of God. And so God has done all these wonderful things for us. So now let us present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul is saying. And so Paul here is writing to a first century church that lived in a culture that sacrificed to their gods. This this wasn't unfamiliar language. Every culture had a sacrificial system. Uh, The people of Israel had a sacrificial system and they grew up offering sacrifices to their God. And so this system looked like worshipers of God bringing physical elements uh, to express their devotion, thanksgiving, or maybe need for forgiveness. And so sacrificing was not a, a new idea for Israel. Most ancient Near East nations practiced this. But what made Israel different was the God that they were worshiping. And so not to spend too much time here, but Leviticus 1 through 7 gives us the most detailed description of Israel's sacrificial system. And this system was to be a physical expression of an inward devotion. So animals, grain, different types of wood would be burned at the altar. And sacrifices in the Old Testament and even pagan cultures were always done to obtain something. In this case, sacrifices were done to obtain forgiveness, blessings, favor, or something from God. And so here's what the author of Hebrews has to say. He portrays Christ as the sinless high priest who offered himself up as a sacrifice for sinners. And so what Paul is trying to say here is that with the death of Christ, we see the death of this old sacrificial system. It's unnecessary. We no longer need to bring dead sacrifices to the altar because they have no power to change anything. Instead, offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. So us becoming a living sacrifice is not to get something from God but a response to what has already been given to us. 
And this is what the first 11 chapters is all about. You don't need to sacrifice animals at the altar to experience forgiveness, freedom, joy, life, and peace. All that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. You don't need to sacrifice your own life, integrity, your own career, money to get something. All the things that we desperately want and are looking for, we can find it in Jesus. We don't need to go find it out in the world. It can be found in Christ. So Paul is saying, become a living sacrifice. Now, I love this. He doesn't say become a dead sacrifice. One of the ideas here is that if this is your first Sunday in church. Welcome out. We're talking about sacrifices. It's about to get better, okay? Come back next Sunday. One of the ideas here is that, is that when you put a sacrifice on the altar, an animal on the altar, one of the reasons why it, it's dead is so that it doesn't move around. When Paul says present yourself as a living sacrifice, well, we're not dead. He says become alive. And so what this means is that us as human beings, we're constantly trying to get off the altar. We're constantly trying to move around or get away. And so the idea here of becoming a living sacrifice is that we have to constantly re-offer ourselves to God because we have this tendency to drift away, move away, and get off the altar. And Paul says, become a living sacrifice. And so he's saying, if Jesus has done this for you, and this is what he offers you, why wouldn't you offer your life to him? Why wouldn't you trust him? I love this humbling quote from David Platt. He says, if you can trust God to save you for eternity, you can trust him to lead you for a lifetime. If you can trust God to save you for eternity, you can trust him to lead you for this momentary life we have on earth. Become his living sacrifice. Let's look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we're going to kind of go word uh, by word here for a, moment, for a moment. So Paul is building this argument. If this is who Jesus is, and this is what he's done for us, become this living sacrifice. So do not be conformed to this World. So let's look at this word conform. This Greek word here means to take the form of another. It's like playing with, with Play-Doh and then putting it into a, a plastic mold and then taking it out as a newly formed object. The Play-Doh was conformed. What was once shapeless now has shape. So Paul's saying, don't become the same shape and the same form of the world. Now, this is important that we unpack this. So what does Paul mean by the world? The best way to answer this question, what I find most helpful, is to think through the context of two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of this world. And they're both opposed to each other. The kingdom of God is is, is what some people call upside down because all the values are a bit different. Where Jesus would say, hey, do not, you know, if somebody treats you unfairly, you treat them with love. These values are upside down. 
Jesus says that uh, if you look at a person lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says, love your enemy. These values are different. And so Jesus models this life. Jesus models the value of the kingdom. And when we live a life that honors God, we actually experience the highest quality of life. The kingdom of this world is different. And I'm not necessarily saying that everything out there is entirely wicked. There's parts of creation that are beautiful. Cultures that are awesome and amazing and reflect the beauty of God. However, what Paul is saying is don't adopt the values and lifestyle that contradicts the values of the kingdom of God. Don't take on the values and lifestyle in this world that stand in direct opposition to the values and lifestyle of Jesus. These two kingdoms oppose each other. So the kingdom of this world is all about self. It's do whatever you please, do whatever makes you happy. Who cares what anyone else thinks? Who cares what anyone else says? You do you. But the kingdom of God is all about God. It's not about me. It's about him and and his desires and living a life that honors him. The kingdom of this world says my will be done. The kingdom of God says his will be done. And the idea here is that whether we are aware of it or not, we are all being formed by one of these kingdoms. And your Christian growth will be limited if you're consistently intaking the thoughts, words, values, attitudes, worries, joys of this world that stand in opposition to Jesus. So here's what do not conform to this world. Here's, here's, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't necessarily mean stop listening to that music or stop watching these movies or quit wearing these clothes. It's not necessarily about doing, stop doing this, stop doing that. That is a life of sin management. And so the danger here is to confuse do not conform with sin management. Because sin management says, live a life avoiding doing all the wrong things. Live a life, uh, you know, not doing this, not doing that. But what usually ends up happening is you always end up returning to the thing you were trying to avoid. Why? Because you were temporarily conformed. You temporarily conformed your behavior, but your heart was never transformed. And I can see where where we get this, because when Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, I'm sure that somewhere along the way, a well-meaning Christian brother or sister said, brother, sister, you got to stop doing all that stuff that you're doing because you look like the world. I've heard that. Now, I want you to hear me. That brother, that sister may not be wrong. But where we get mixed up is that first part. You see, breaking the pattern of sin, changing a lifestyle that is conformed to the systems and beliefs of this world, breaking this does not come from human effort. It doesn't solely come from us saying, I'm going to stop doing this and and changing the external. It comes from God and the Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside out and as a result, changing what we desire. And when our desires are changed, Our behaviors and actions are changed. 
When he changes what we desire, in effect, we will change what we are doing and pursuing. And these new desires come from a new life. This new life comes from God transforming us. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. So we don't break conformity by stopping what we're doing. We break it by being transformed and renewing our mind. So let's talk about this word transformed for a moment. This word means to change form. The Greek word here is where we get the word metamorphosis. So it's like a caterpillar going into cocoon, metamorphosizing, and a few weeks later coming out as a beautiful butterfly. What once had a specific shape and a specific form, what was once a caterpillar, now has been transformed. It has a different shape. It has a different form. It's a butterfly. And this word means to become something completely different, a completely different form, a completely different shape, a completely different person. And God doesn't want to just change you. He wants to transform you. He wants to take us broken and flawed and transform us into something beautiful and redemptive, something we could never become on our own. What does he want to transform us into? The image of Christ. So continuing with this caterpillar illustration, uh, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but a caterpillar has very limited mobility. Crawls pretty slow and It behaves and functions according to what it is, a decent-looking worm, a caterpillar. But when it is transformed, when it experiences metamorphosis, remember that Greek word for transformed. When that caterpillar is transformed, it no longer behaves like a caterpillar. It behaves like a butterfly. And it takes on a whole new set of behaviors because it has a new body. And so this is what Paul is reminding us of. God is not only changing us, he's transforming us. So we can no longer live the way we we once used to live because we have a new life, new desires. And so the best way to escape conforming to this world is not by trying to be unlike the world, but allowing ourselves to become like Christ. This change is not affected by a change in outward behavior, but by a change in one's thinking. Transformation begins in the mind. So Paul goes on to say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does Paul mean by transformation that comes from mind renewal? Uh, This is what I believe. I believe he means constantly setting our minds on Christ. And this is where where this comes from. Romans 8, 6, Paul says earlier, For the mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. Why? Because a mind that is constantly set on the values of this world that stand in direct opposition to God only leads to death. We think that it's satisfying and transforming us, but it's only amplifying uh, the wickedness and brokenness that's already inside of us. But Paul says that a mind that's set on the spirit of God is life and peace. Why? Because when we set our minds on Jesus, 
the idea here is that we become like the person we're thinking about. And when we live like him and act like him, we experience the highest quality of life. Life on earth as it is in heaven, the life that Jesus lived. And so I love the way Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3, especially the NASB. It says, but we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed. That same word, metamorphosis, being transformed into the same image. So what we are looking at, we are becoming from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So the takeaway here is we become what we behold. What we behold, we become. So to behold means an intense sort of seeing in which our attention is fixed upon an object. What we behold, whatever we intensely fix our attention upon, we become. And so this statement is not a new idea. This statement actually comes from 19th century uh, English poet William Blake, who had his own interactions with the scriptures, and he observed this truth in his own life. This idea that what we take in with our eyes, what we think about with our mind, has the ability to form us and shape us. And so people are gradually transformed to the image and nature of Christ as we spend more time with him and experience him more. This is what discipleship is all about. Spending time with our teacher, our rabbi Jesus, so that we can eventually become like him. And so transformation doesn't happen overnight. However, As your Christian life progresses, you should gradually notice that your thought life is being changed from Christlessness to Christ-likeness. And if you desire to become like Christ, you have to experience him personally, know him personally, and spend time with him personally. That's why this idea that you can grow up in church that your parents can be Christians, that that you can become Christians, that that you're an American, therefore you're a Christian, is completely incompatible with what the scripture says. You have to know Christ personally, experience him personally, and be with him personally. And And when that happens, you begin to experience transformation for yourself, not someone else's transformation. We become what we behold, and this happens in our personal lives more frequently than not. When we behold the world, we take on the natures of the world. When you behold a person, next thing you know, you're, you're picking up their mannerisms and style. This is my favorite thing about going to visit my wife's family in North Carolina, you know, spend a week or two there, and I'm like, I'm North Carolinian, whatever you say it. Like, I say, instead of saying water, I say water. I'm picking up the mannerisms and style. It's all I'm taking in. We are all becoming something, but but here's the sobering truth. If we're not becoming more like Christ and we're becoming something else and we're becoming more like the world, 
Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, so let's get practical. Practically, how do we experience this ongoing transformation? I want to suggest by beholding the beauty of Christ. When we behold Jesus, we become more like him. And so how do we behold the beauty of Christ? By setting our minds on Jesus. As we mentioned earlier, one of the ways we renew our minds is by setting our minds on Christ. And the more we think about him, the more we experience him, the more we will live like him. So what does setting our minds on Jesus looks like? How, how do we do this? Let's get even more practical. Three things that I believe will help us set our minds on Jesus. One, reflecting on God's word. Two, practicing praise and thanksgiving. Three, practicing obedience. Reflecting on God's word. Practicing praise and thanksgiving. Practicing obedience. So reflecting on God's word. This means that that we slow down our minds and our hearts to think about God's goodness. We read his word and let it sink down and anchor our souls. And when we reflect on the word of God, we're setting our minds on him and his infinite beauty and worth. So I believe one of the the, the most helpful places to start here is maybe not necessarily uh, picking up a one-year reading plan, but finding these scriptures that that, that move your heart, finding scriptures that, that move you to worship, and spending time with those scriptures frequently. doesn't matter if it's the same scripture every day, but, but meditating on that scripture, reflecting on how God has been so good and so wonderful. It could be as simple as John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the first scriptures I ever heard when I was 18 years old. And so I meditate on that. I reflect on that. Wow, God, you, you sent Jesus for me because you knew that I couldn't get to you. And you're so good and, and you're so awesome. And so I, I do recognize that in this technological age, slowing down can be rather difficult. And so don't overwhelm yourself by saying, oh, I got to do this for an hour like my dad says. My dad used to tell me, how long did you pray? I said, three minutes. He said, that's not prayer. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, go get on your face for an hour. My dad grew up in the 70s, Jesus freak movement, super hardcore. And so me as a young Christian, I thought to myself, I guess that's how it's got to be done. And so I remember going to my room, setting a timer, and what felt like an hour was three minutes. I said, this is why I pray for three minutes. <laughs> I can't do this. It doesn't mean set these long, laborious burdens sometimes, but take moments to reflect and meditate on God's word. His word is supernatural. It transcends time. It transcends environment. It can change you in a moment. Practicing praise and thanksgiving. This could look like singing and worship. Practicing praising God and and giving him thanks. Every second of our life is an opportunity to thank God for something. Everything that God has blessed us with, the clothes that we are wearing, is almost like a moment to reflect and say, God, thank you. 
will never run out of things to thank God for. We have to be intentional about practicing, adoring God. Uh, you know, I, I love worship music. I, I love Spotify, just blasting it in the car, worshiping God. Plugging in as, as you're cleaning or studying, but setting your mind on, on him and worshiping him and praising him and thanking him. So when we praise, when we practice thanksgiving, what we're doing is that we're declaring out loud with our lips what's happening in our hearts. What we are reflecting on in our mind, this beautiful truth about God, we're declaring out loud how incredible Jesus is expressing how thankful we are for him. And as we speak about God, it helps recenter our minds on him. I've taken the habit of doing this. I just say, Jesus, I love you. And, and wherever my eyes are fixed, I just try to practice thanksgiving. Lord, thank you as I'm walking to my car for this vehicle. Lord, thank you for this Bible. Lord, thank you for food. Practicing 100% of your time, your mind on God. Practicing obedience. When we practice obedience, what we're doing is essentially saying, okay, what I believe in my mind and what I believe in my heart about God, that which I believe and, and that which I declare with my lips and my voice as I praise and adore him, I want to live out. I want to put it on display through my actions, through my worship, through my obedience, because he is so worth it. So not only do I, I meditate, on God's word. Not only do we worship him, but we live it out as a declaration of saying, God, I believe you to be true and you are worth serving with my life. What ends up happening is that we become what we behold. And the more we behold Jesus, the the more we set our minds on him, the more clearly we will see Jesus, experience him, and the more clearly we'll see everything else. The more clearly we see him, the more we will become like him. Reflect on his word. Practice praise and thanksgiving. Practice obedience. Now, here's the bad news. On your own, this is impossible. Like we mentioned earlier, you, like that caterpillar, have a very limited spiritual range of motion. This is why you can try your hardest to change, but you always come up short. And here's the wonderful news. The Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit comes and renews us. The Holy Spirit comes and regenerates. And what this means in the language of the New Testament is that when we were once formerly dead with very limited spirituality, the Spirit of God comes upon us, comes in us, and gives us new life. And with this new life come new desires and the power to follow Jesus. And with the Holy Spirit's help, As he empowers us, we can have the power to reflect on God's word. We can have the power to praise, and we can have the power to obey. None of this is accomplished by human effort. It is all accomplished by the Spirit of God working in you, through you, and out of you. 
That's why maybe that list right there, you've already had some bad experiences with. I feel like I've done that. I don't know if that works. I encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit, our helper, to come empower you to behold Christ, to set your mind on Jesus. And experience, watch how gradually everything will become so different. The Holy Spirit captivates our minds and helps us see the beauty of Jesus, helps us take our minds off of ourselves, helps us take our minds off of the world, off of the desires of the flesh, and he helps us set our attention on Jesus. When we behold Christ, we are transformed. Why? Because we take on his nature, and our nature is being conformed to his image. And this is what makes you a living sacrifice, beholding the beauty of Christ. So I close with this question as we prepare to come to the table Are you being transformed? Are you being conformed? I mean, think of those things that that you want to change in your life. How do we break that pattern of conforming? Come to Jesus. Worship him. Experience him. And as you come to the table, would you be willing to give those things to Jesus? Can you ask God to transform you and those parts of your life that you can't change and ask him to transform you. And brothers and sisters, that is a prayer that God answers. He desires for us to be transformed so that we can live and be all that he's called us to be. And so communion. Communion is a gift from God for the people of God. It is reserved for those who place their faith, their trust in Jesus, for those who have turned away from saving themselves in this habitual practice of sin. And so as we come to the table with open hearts, open minds, would you practice obedience as you come and say, Jesus, I give you all these things that I've been trying to change out of my own effort. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and transform me. And as you're setting your mind on him, I encourage you to reflect on his goodness. And as we go into worship, sing and praise. And the more we set our minds and our eyes on him, the more we become like him. So will you please stand with me to read this confession?